Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we can be gathered here tonight, God. We just thank you for what your spirit is doing, God, just uh, in this church, in this city, in our personal lives. We just exalt you, God. We confess that every good and perfect gift is from you, that, Lord God, all that we have is of you, Lord. And so we just bless this offering. God, may it go towards your glory. May it go towards, Lord God, just releasing more of more of your spirit and establishing more and more of your kingdom, God. We bless the offering and we bless, Lord, the congregation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, lights. A bit full in here. You guys are welcome to scoot up a little. Uh, I want to encourage you guys to be comfortable, but not that comfortable, if you know what I mean. All right, but before I start my message, I just had a, a question to ask, and uh, I need most of you guys to be sitting. I know a lot of you guys are getting some drinks uh, right now, um, but what I'm going to just ask, this has nothing to do with my message. I just want to see, I'm, I'm just curious, if you grew up in a home where either your mother or your father or both were absent or you were adopted uh, between infancy and and high school graduation. If you grew up in a home where either your father was absent, your mother was absent, and this is your birth father, your birth mother, uh, or you were adopted, and this is between the ages of infancy and graduation of high school. Could you just stand up, please? Stand up. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just curious to see the numbers. Okay. All right. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Stick around, guys, tonight. We got some good prayer going, and uh, we might have some time for prayer for people like that uh, at 2 a.m. So if you want to stick around until then, come on. Come on. Get, get the delirious blessing. It's just wait until you see me at 2 a.m. It's going to be fun. 4 a.m. All right, guys. It, it is my pleasure uh, to speak tonight during the first Friday fire of our 21-day corporate fast. I actually had the honor of speaking at the First Friday Fighter just before First Friday uh, Fire, just before we started our 42-day fast back in 2008. And that fast was a little different. Most people were just fasting once a week with some people doing 10 days of liquids. And then at the end of the 42-day fast, we had a three-day Mordecai fast where everyone uh, was just on water. And I'll tell you guys, our church has changed uh, quite a bit over the years. I've been here since the very beginning of 2006, January 1st, 2006. I've been through three different pastors, and uh, our church did experience the renewal towards the end of 2006, where the Spirit was poured out. And uh, I can remember in the summer of 2008, Pastor Christian had just become our new pastor. And we went through kind of a honeymoon stage, where it was just like, the services would go really long, and people would get really messed up by the Holy Spirit. And I remember our Sunday swims, it was just when prophecy was being released, and people were just beginning to walk in visions in our church. And uh, people kept having these visions of, like, water. And like, I see water, and it's over this, you know, it's like water, and, and I see rainbows. And it was just, like, a lot of, like, happy visions. And, uh, you know, everybody was just really, like, happy. It was that, that honeymoon stage. And uh, then we went into the 42-day fast, and we really got into it. And we're seeking the Lord. And um, what was the result? What happened after that fast? 
uh, it got very dry, actually. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, our services started to go back to quote-unquote normal. Uh, it wasn't as long extended sermons. Um, the visions started to kind of like stop a little bit. And I can tell you that as a church, we were doing nothing wrong. But what God was doing at that time in our church growth was he was pruning us. Because we were at a point in that church growth where if God poured out any more of his spirit upon us, we would have collapsed. Uh, I don't know if you remember, we didn't really have any structure as a church at that time. It was after the 42-day fast that we began discipleship. It was after the 42-day fast that we got our intern pastors. It was after that fast that we got a deacon board. It was after that fast that the church began to mature. And God was building us up so that we could receive the next outpouring. And that's what you got to understand. It's, it's a lot like a relationship. Oftentimes you'll have that honeymoon stage and then you'll have kind of a rough time, but then your love refines, it matures, it blossoms. And we did receive that outpouring, you know, all those visions of the water. They did come true uh, during the Andre Spassoni crusade and Brother Michael coming to speak. That was in May 2009. But I know that God has so much more. And so we've been seeing another buildup. And it's, it's just starting to come around. And we started the Niagara Conference. And then when Pastor Crinch, Christian mentioned the 21-day fast, I got really excited in my heart. Um, because I sense, uh, I've just sensed all along that Niagara Conference, while we need to be faithful in recruiting, we need to be faithful in praying for people, we really need to be faithful in these things, that I didn't sense it was going to come through so much of recruiting that we would get 750 people but it would come more through the revelation of the Holy Spirit and that God would begin to pour out his spirit before the conference and that God would start to do things that would just mess up people from other churches, that they would see things and just be like, okay, I want to find out about that. I want to know, but people are getting healed. I got to go. Okay, that usually gives people a bit more urgency when they find out that the glory of God is happening in the meetings. And I just sense, well, God's got to show up before that. And so I'm really believing and trusting that during this fast, God's going to do a mighty thing. God's going to really pour out His Spirit. And we've already seen blessings this year. We had 80-plus healings, missions. Some people have been healed here as well in the church physically. Uh, we had um, the Itaewon church plant. God has really blessed that. It is, it is gradually maturing. We had Rob Hodgkins come for Extreme Prophetic. We've already had great things so far this year. But I, I just, I'm not satisfied in the, in the least bit. I'm thankful. But I sense God has so much more. And that the second half of the year, we're going to see amazing things. And uh, Pastor John Newfeld pointed out that June 21st is the day that our fast ends. That day happens to be solstice. That is the longest day of the year. Uh, solstice is the longest day of the year. It marks the end of the first half. It marks a new beginning. Okay? And so I really believe that God is going to put things in our heart, that he is going to bring shifts in our ways of thinking. God's already doing that through Heaven Invades Earth and through just different things that we're learning, different teachings that we're receiving. But I really believe during this fast, He's going to bring a shift in our prayer walks, a shift in our revelation of the Spirit. And we're going to go into the rest of 2010 with a greater anointing, a greater empowering. So this message, uh, I'm, I preached before the 42-day fast on one of my favorite chapters in the Bible on fasting, Joel chapter 2. This time around, I'm going to preach on my other favorite chapter on fasting, Isaiah 58. And uh, so I'm going to exegize this pastor, uh, passage. So if you could open up your Bibles to Isaiah 58. I want to encourage you guys to take notes. 
The uh, title of the message today is True Fasting and the Glory. True Fasting and the Glory. All right, before we get into it, let me say a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much for the maturing that you have taken our church through, Lord, in the past two years, God. I just praise you, Lord, that you take us from glory to glory to, Lord God, Father, far exceeding glory, Lord God, that your glory continues to increase upon this church. And God, I just declare your glory being released in this place tonight. God, I just declare a shift in our hearts, a shift in our minds, God. I just speak an opening, Lord, as we receive this passage, your word, your bread. May we feast upon it, God, and may there be response. May you release a response in the church tonight. So anoint my tongue, lead me by your spirit, God, and let your glory fall in this place. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Pastor Christian's already been hitting on this message on Sunday Swim and then leading prayer this week. And uh, despite that, when I prayed, I really felt God saying, do this. Let's get deeper into this passage. So let's look at verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5, and we're going to start going uh, verse verse by verse through this chapter. Verses 3 through 5, it says this in the ESV. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? First point I want to hit uh, that God warns the church in this is that fasting, when you fast, your flesh is revealed. Pastor Christian hit on this during Sunday Swim, but fasting reveals the flesh. We read right here, it says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked, fi- wicked fist. And uh, perhaps you guys have noticed that oftentimes when you're the most hungry, your emotions that you usually try and have self-control over, they tend to just come streaming out. Whether it's anger or frustration or, or other things as well. Insecurities can even come out or just fleshliness. These things will come out, and, and God's showing it right to you. And God is saying, you have to work on this. You have to give it to me. Did you know that when you do a water fast, if you're just doing water, your body can go from 21 to 40 days, just water, water alone. Okay, you're, you're okay. Jesus did it, Moses did it, Elijah did it. They did not do it by you know, a super empowering of the Holy Spirit. They endured because it is humanly possible. And what happens is on your first and second day of fasting, water fasting, is you will get hungry at the times you usually eat. So if you eat three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're going to be the most hungry breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why? You have trained your body that you're going to feed it. You have trained your flesh that you will be fed breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so your body is not actually even needing food during your first two days. It's just natural flesh. Your flesh saying, hey, where's the food? Hey, where's the Twinkie? You know, come on. Where's the ice cream? I always get ice cream right now. Give me the ice cream. Okay, that's your flesh speaking. And then what happens is in days three through five are the hardest days of a water fast, usually. And this is when the acid in your stomach begins to get cleansed out. 
the lining after all eating all that oily samgyapsar and all that oily pizza, it lines in your stomach and you get a line of grease and a line of junk in your stomach. But when you fast, as the days pass by, your body starts to get cleansed of it. And you get, you get stomach pains. You hurt, not because you're hungry, but because that acid is coming out. And it, it's a healthy thing. It's, again, revealing your flesh. It's revealing how fleshly you are. Because if you take good care of your body, then you're not going to have really that much pain. But if you eat samgyapsal every day, I'm going to tell you, those three through six days, really hard. But you know what happens is after day seven... You get renewed energy. Hunger pains are gone. You're okay. Okay, I've, I've gone through this fast myself. You are okay day seven. And then from on that, you are okay until day 21 to day 40. And at that point, once you start to feel hunger, that means, okay, your body has run out of the fat supply in your body. It's now going into the organs. You need to eat. Break your fast, okay? Don't try and go any farther, all right? That's a demonstration. Fasting is a clear demonstration of your flesh. And it's the same thing when you give yourself over into a sin or into a temptation. It's going to be a whole lot more painful to try and get over it. And the grace in doing a 21-day fast like this, even though we're doing liquids, and yes, it is a bit easier, you will still experience those hunger pains. You will still experience that appetite for food. You'll you'll smell it, and you'll just be like, "I, I want it. And it's your flesh speaking. Because really, you, your spirit is fine, and it's your spirit that matters most. And it's the same with the other emotions as well. God is going to bring into, just right before you, different insecurities, different problems, maybe pride, maybe different other issues. And he's going to say, hey, I want you to work on these. Just as you're giving me your flesh, your body, your physical flesh, during these 21 days, I want you to give me your, your sinful nature, your fleshly nature. And I want to cleanse that as well. And I'm telling you, he'll do it. Uh, I, I forget who said it, but they said it takes, what, 21 days to establish a habit. And I'll tell you guys, some people think, hey, I'll never get over you know, this sexual sin, or I'll never get over this addiction. But I'm telling you, when you set aside an extended time and really give it to the Lord, consecrate it to Him, grace abounds more and more, and you're able to overcome. Fasting reveals the flesh. Another warning in this passage is against the danger of the spirit of religion. Pastor Christian just spoke about that. The Pharisees in Jesus' day and the Israelites at this time, they believed, hey, if we don't eat, then we get an answer to our prayer. If we fast, we deserve an answer because of what we have done. And they are not moving out of grace. They are not moving out of love. They're moving out of works. And this is what the religious spirit will try and do in your life, is he will try and get you set on a works standpoint. And what this will cause is for you to look at other people who are fasting and to judge them and be like, oh, they shouldn't have eaten that or they shouldn't have done that. Or it gets you focused on yourself and you get religious about what can I drink or or what can I do during this time. And, And soon you're setting up this code of conduct that you have to keep to a T or else God will not bless you. That's the spirit of religion. We're blessed by God's grace, by his grace alone. And what God isn't wanting is for us to just starve ourselves and say, oh, God, bless us now. But what he desires is instead a romance. And it is, I believe, I'm not a girl, but I believe it is romantic for someone to give up something they cherish for a period of time for the one that they love. Okay? Hey, you know, I love you. I know I'm a baseball player. I love baseball to death. But for the next two weeks... I'm going to give up baseball and I'm really going to spend time with you. Is that beautiful? 
Is, is that nice? It's not like you're giving up baseball for life, but it is something that is, during that time period, you grow more intimate. And that intimacy doesn't just end when the fast ends and you just go back to gorging. No, that intimacy, it just draws you deeper and you go from that depth as a relationship goes on. You see, if the act of fasting is done correctly, our hearts will become aligned with God's heart because we're getting into His love. We're getting into His presence. We're saying, God, so much more than food, I hunger for you. So much more than this, I just want you. And you begin to put aside the distractions of the day and just get into His presence. And that is where you get depth. That is where you get His love. Okay, let's move to verse 6. It says this, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Psalm 89.14, Psalm 97.2 both present the same truth. They both say that the foundation of God's throne are justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. Many people interpret righteousness as simply being right with God. And for many Christians, they interpret being right with God as in if I go to church, or maybe if I give an offering, or maybe if I attend Bible study and prayer meeting, and I become a better me. They interpret that as becoming a better Christian, as becoming righteous with God. And that is just like the Pharisees in the Bible, who were so diligent in their prayer, they fasted twice a week, the Pharisees did. And they would tithe, and they would do every little thing correctly, but they ignored injustice. They cast out the leper. They ignored the invalid. They didn't reach out to the poor. And Jesus scorned the Pharisees. I'll tell you, just like the Pharisees in Jesus' time, I believe God is becoming more and more impatient with the church. While the church is so busy with their agendas, injustice is consuming our world. If we want God to come in all His glory and to establish His throne on the earth, we have to set up His throne in the correct way. And it has to be done through justice and righteousness together. Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. In the NIV, it says, who daily bears our burdens. And there is this spiritual truth that in every struggle you endure as a Christian, God is enduring it with you. He knows your every pain. Jesus endured it all in his lifetime, and he continues to endure it for you. He is the great high priest. He understands our weaknesses. And when we fast, we are basically giving up this food, and we're experiencing hunger pain. We're experiencing things that enable us to relate to the victims of injustice. We can relate to those who are starving out there. And not just starving for food, though. So many more are starving for love. So many out there are going through the, just the garbage cans of society to seek for love. Whether it's through sex, or through alcohol, or through drugs, or through money, or through other means. They're trying to find some sort of affirmation, some sort of love. And I'm telling you, as you fast, if you give yourself to the Lord, God will use this as a weapon, as Pastor Christian spoke on Sunday Swim. And he will align your heart with his heart. And he will reveal injustice to you. He will get your heart with his heart. And that will release power through your prayers. That will allow his throne, his throne to be in your heart. It will set up your heart as the throne of God. By fasting, you're getting rid of your flesh. You're getting rid of these distractions. It gives you a clear vision 
greater focus. It results in you not living for the moment like fleshly people do. Oh, I want to watch TV. Oh, I want to eat this. I want to go there. I want to do this. Living in the moment, but it helps you get your eyes set on eternity. No longer are you living for your selfish desires, living for the now, for the now, for the now, but you're living for the kingdom. You're living for eternity. You see, we don't live by physical sight. We live by faith. And as you fast, you should expect your spiritual eyes to begin to open. And I believe that Isaiah 50, 58, 6 refers to breaking off yokes in the spiritual realm. Okay, we're talking about spiritual yokes, like the yokes over North Korea. And I believe that if, if we want to do a fast that truly honors God, we need to be praying against injustice. And I praise God that North Korea has become a vocal point of this fast. This honors God. But you need to continue to bring it in your personal prayer closet, not just when we gather here on Friday nights or during the week. Injustice needs to be in your prayers. And if you don't have something that your heart is stirred about, you need to ask God because I'm telling you, his heart is breaking for so many different things. And your, your eyes will be opened. Whether it's those from broken homes, the orphan, the poor, the homeless, the, the victims of sex trafficking, the, the alcoholics, the, those that are trying to get over addiction. There are so many victims of injustice in society today. And if you will just pray, if you will just say, God, who is your heart breaking for right now? I'm telling you, God will reveal. He delights in that prayer. Let's look at verse 7. It says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the, poor, the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What should always follow prayer is action. You see, in verse 6, it's talking about the spiritual strongholds. You need to break the bonds of wickedness. You need to pray against these things. What follows prayer in verse 7? Action. We're called to go out. We're called to clean up what we've just prayed. If we do our work in the spiritual realm, then we will, be, we will effectively be able to do our work in the physical. If you don't do your work in the spiritual realm, you're not going to get anything done in the physical. If you study war, a smart military will always send in an airstrike first before sending in the ground troops. And they will go after the strongholds in the city, they will attack the different areas that they know, whether it's, it's, it's where they're manufacturing missiles, the barracks, where the commanders are. They will attack strategic points in the city or in the stronghold that they're going after. And once they do that, once the Air Force takes care of those things, then you can send in the ground troops. And what do the ground troops find? They find an opposing army moving in fear, confusion, and they're just, they're retreating. They're running. Okay, they've been, they've been taken care of. What's our air attack? It's prayer. Our ground attack, that's us, the hands and feet. Us going out. This is why Isaiah 58, 6, the verse on praying against the bonds of wickedness, has become Pastor Christian's theme verse for North Korea. The issues for North Korea are still clearly in the spiritual. I could go in there today with a thousand volunteers to serve the orphans in North Korea. A thousand strong, loving volunteers, top-notch volunteers. And I'm telling you, we would get barely anything done. Uh, we just because this, it's a spiritual stronghold in North Korea. We could serve our hearts out, but we would just be left dry and empty and broken. You look at Japan; it's another clear example. So many missionaries have gone into Japan just to leave empty, beat up, let, you know, lost in sin, backslidden. Why? Because there are such strong spiritual strongholds over Japan that first must be attacked in prayer before we can really see effectiveness in the ground troops effectiveness in the churches i read a powerful testimony of a missionary from malaysia 
And he was there, I believe, in the 80s. And there were many missionaries with him. And they were in this one province in Malaysia. If you don't know Malaysia, it's very Muslim, strict Muslim country. And they kept reaching out. They kept trying different tactics, different ways. But it was fruitless. Their ministries, they were getting no one. Even the very few that would come in would end up backsliding and turning back to the Islam faith. And so, one by one, his missionary friends began to leave. And then after a few years, it was just him. Everyone had left except for him, his wife, and his kids. And you know what? He was ready to give up. He was broken. He was desperate. But his, parent, his wife and his kids would not let him go. And they kept praying for him. They said, we've got to stay. And they would listen to the Muslims chanting during their, their different prayers during the day, you know, hearing their prayers, and their hearts would break. And they would be filled with compassion. They would, they would know, God has sent us here for a purpose. And as he prayed, he said, God, what do I have to do? What, what, what's the strategy? And God said, you need an army for your own. You need an army of prayer warriors behind you. You need prayer. And so he was led to drop everything, just drop his ministry, go back to America. And he began to tour America and go church to church and to share about Malaysia and ask for prayer. And he went to this church that was more like older people. And it was just like, well, let's give it a shot. And he shared about Malaysia with them, the need for prayer. And one of the leaders there at the church said, okay, we want to join you in praying for Malaysia. And he was like, oh, thank you. He said, right now, let's do this. Like, oh, okay. And they went into like a three-hour prayer session for Malaysia, just intense, praying for Malaysia, this church. And you know what happened in the morning? There was international news out of Malaysia. One of the famous mosques in Malaysia, a wall, had just fallen. It just like, just fell. It was inexplainable. Just one of the walls had just fallen. And that missionary, no one else in the world understood it, but that missionary knew what was going on. Someone had in the spiritual, and he, was, he got his ticket, and he went back. And you know what? The gates opened. Muslims began to get saved. Other missionaries came to join them, and they joined in on that fruit. They joined in on that work. I want to tell you guys, as we pray, God is clearing the way. And then God is going to open doors for you guys to go in. And I'm telling you guys, God has plans for many of you, so many of you, in terms of injustice. And God is going to, he's training you right now through this church. He's training you through this city. He's even training you, teaching some of the kids that you're teaching that you don't have a heart for yet. But God's going to give you a heart like he did for me. And God's going to send many of you into orphanage ministry. He's going to send many of you to work in sex trafficking. He's going to send many of you as ministers. And you're going to go into these third world countries. And you're going to proclaim the gospel, the good news. And you're going to release, you're going to release some of their bondage. God's doing this in your hearts right now. He's doing this. He's going to bring this out during this fast. You see, as this prayer movement in New Philadelphia has been going, we've experienced justice inside the church. We've experienced the healing deliverance ministry, setting people free. We've seen people get touched by the fire of God. We've seen justice inside the church. People who are victims of abuse, of rape, of different things, receiving healing, receiving, being able to forgive, being blessed, being made whole. But I believe that during this fast, God is going to bring the shift so that we're not just reaching out people in the church, but we're going outside the church. God would not put us at King Bar in Itaewon just so that we could do church where there's so many transsexuals, homosexuals, prostitutes, Muslims, so many people that are lost in that area. God would not send us there just so that we can have a worship service. He is sending us there because he is going to empower us and we are going to reach these people effectively by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isaiah 58, 7 
is a command for the church to act out of love and justice. And the last command of this verse, I want you to look at this verse again, is a command that really shakes me up. It says, not to hide yourself from your own flesh. This is a command from God. Not to hide yourself from your own flesh. The NIV says, do not turn from your own flesh and blood. What that means, basically, in the Hebrew is do not turn from your kinsmen, from your relatives, from the people, your brothers and sisters. And I want to tell you guys, the Korean church has done some beautiful things. Prayer movement is, is beautiful uh, in this country. We have some of the biggest churches in the world. Korea sends more missionaries than almost every other country out there today. The Korean church has done some beautiful things. But there is a glaring sin that is marking this church, that is limiting the move of the Holy Spirit on this peninsula. And it is this. Do not turn from your own flesh and blood. Korea has turned from its own flesh and blood. It's turned from its own brothers and sisters. They've allowed their relatives, the people of their own ethnicity, the people of their own group, to be starving for generations, for decades, to be oppressed, to be tortured, to even be executed. They have allowed this. And there is a spirit of just ignorance, of apathy, and of fear that is gripping this peninsula and is causing people to just bring a blind eye to the cares of North Korea and to focus on themselves. And God says, this cannot be so. If you want to honor me, if you want to pray and your prayers to be heard, you've got to reach out to your loved ones. You've got to reach out to your brothers and sisters. You cannot ignore them. You can't just focus on yourself selfishly and expect yourself to be blessed while so many around you are victims of injustice. In this verse, it stirs me up. Guys, I mean, it brings me to tears, to be honest, so often when I pray for North Korea and I pray for South Korea because I know that South Korea right now, there is a blockage over this nation that God will not lift until this nation finally repents and reaches out to their brothers and sisters to the north, until there is that reconciliation. Guys, I believe God is going to release revival in South Korea. I believe he's going to empower us for the greater work. But the true revival that we're seeking it can only be done when this family is reunited, when North and South Korea are reunited. You see, the Israelites, they cried out, why, why haven't our prayers been heard? And they were the same. In the North, you had Israel. and the South, you had Judah. In the North, Israel went to exile. They were idolatrous. They were, they were taken as slaves under the Assyrians. And you know what Judah did? Nothing. They ignored them. And they said, God, why aren't our prayers being heard? And God said, look at your brothers to the north. And there were only two revivals after the exile in Judah. And they were both during Hezekiah and Josiah. And you want to know what they had in common? Hezekiah and Josiah both reached out to the land to the north. They both went into the land of the north to cleanse the land and to bring people for worship, to celebrate the Passover together. And so it was only during those two kings of Judah that you saw a true revival for the people. And I'm telling you, it's the same for today. That once we are able, once the church repents of just their apathy and begins to pray, we're going to see just openings of the Holy Spirit like never before. And when God opens up that border, when God begins to reconcile the people of North Korea and South Korea, we're going to experience greater revival than 100 years ago. Far greater revival than then. This is the truth. There's a clear reason why we're praying for North Korea. We need to see that spirit of reconciliation released in this nation. We need to see that love break through all numbness 
in our hearts. As you fast, you're going to experience pain. You're going to experience different things. And you want to say, God, give me your heart. Let me experience what you're feeling. And I'm telling you, this is one of the things God is going to press on your heart if you open it to him. So if we set our hearts on God and we seek justice and righteousness and we go out and we don't just pray here, but we go out and we obey, what should we expect? What should we expect God to do? I'm telling you, we should expect something. And let's look at this. Verse 8 says, Your light shall break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You see, right away, we need to expect breakthrough in this fast. And we need to expect healing. We need to expect healing, church. Not just, oh, maybe a year from now or or two years. We've seen a little bit. Maybe it'll slowly pick up. We need to expect healing now. Why is that? You see, Jesus' life was marked by breakthrough and healing. He turned cities and towns upside down. People stop everything simply to be able to see him like Zacchaeus. They climb up into trees and make fools of themselves just so that they could see Jesus. But with all of these many revivals and these miracles, there was something that marked Jesus, and it was compassion. There were words in the Gospels like, moved with pity, he reached out and he healed the leper. He had compassion on the crowds and he healed them. I have compassion on these people because they have nothing to eat. This compassion often marked the miracles and healings of Jesus. So why is this important? You see, God is love. God is love. If you experience love for someone around you, you are not experiencing a fleshly emotion or something of the enemy. If you are experiencing love, you are experiencing an emotion of God. And he has given it to you for a purpose. If you see someone in need, if you see someone hurting, and you experience compassion for that person, that is God stirring in your heart. And there is a purpose for that. When you are moved with compassion towards someone or something, you need to expect God to move. Because he wouldn't just give you compassion for no purpose. He wouldn't give you love just so you couldn't do anything. He gives you this love so that you act upon it. So that you move upon it. And healing should come naturally as we fast. We are setting ourselves into God's kingdom. We are saying that we don't live by flesh, we live by the Spirit. And the more we do this, the identity of the kingdom comes upon us. We are citizens of heaven. We are seated in the heavenly realms. We are not just people of this world. And as this happens, the authority of the kingdom is released in us and around us. Healing springs up speedily. It quickly appears. It flows naturally. So our prayer needs to be, God, take our flesh. God, take our earthly emotions. Consume us, Lord. Give us your heart for our brothers and sisters. Let us be moved with compassion and give us the faith to step out. Because if you give us the compassion, there's a purpose for it. And we need to expect healing, whether it's physical or emotional or inner. God will release that healing. He does not give you compassion for no purpose. Whenever Jesus was moved with compassion, there was a miracle. There was a miracle. We need to expect this in our lives. Looking back at this verse, it says, Your righteousness shall go before you. Righteousness. The root word of righteousness really means godliness. And if you, if you look at it closely in the Bible, it's always translated as either righteousness or justice. It is the character of God, the essence of God. 
That's, that means that when people look upon us, according to this passage, when we are fasting and obeying God in justice and righteousness, they see the face of God. They see the light of God's face shining from us. As we begin to move just as Jesus did, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, we become like the army in Ezekiel 37. The army of God set apart, reflecting his glory. The light of our face strikes fear into the enemy because he cannot stand the face of God. And if we are moving in obedience to God's commands in justice and righteousness, we are reflecting his glory and the enemy cannot stand it. He flees before us. So we need to rise up in our prayer and know that God is already doing this in your lives. That you guys are already beginning to glow stronger and stronger and Satan cannot stand it. And so we must pray. We must know that his righteousness goes before us. His light is clearing the way. He is bringing light into all darkness. And now we come to my favorite part. And it's the last part of this verse. This same verse. It says, The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Now, I never understood that verse until I began the sermon. And uh, thank goodness for Net Bible. They have the Hebrew on there. His rear guard. What does that mean, God? What does that mean? And if you look at rear guard, what it means in Hebrew, and I'm probably off. You can... Correct me, Pastor John. But uh, it's pronounced Asaf. Asaf. And it means gather or harvest. I like the King James Version of this verse. It says, The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Reward. Glory of the Lord will be your reward. When you live a life of justice and righteousness, as you fast before God, as you give your flesh to Him, the glory of the Lord will will be your reward. You need to expect to harvest and gather the glory of the Lord. What happens when the glory of the Lord shows up? The glory in Hebrew is kabat. It means the weight of his presence. So do you wonder why people fall when they're prayed for, why they're shaking on the ground? That is the glory of the Lord falling upon them, the weight of his presence. You see, in Genesis 1, it says that before God created all these things, it said the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the glory of God was present over the earth. And when God spoke, it came about. And you see, the glory of God was with Jesus wherever he went. So when he took the water in those, in those huge jugs, it became wine. He spoke it out, it became wine. He took the loaves and the fish, he spoke it out, it multiplied into many. He would speak to a paralyzed or to a crippled, and their bones would become aligned and they could walk. That's what happens when the glory shows up. It's the supernatural. It's the things of God. It's the kingdom. The kingdom shows up. And these things like crippledness, or perilous, you know, lepers, these types of things are not in heaven. When the kingdom is established, there's healing. There's release. So what is God's promised reward for true fasting? It is his glory. It's his presence. We need to expect this glory to mark our lives. We need to claim this. It says harvest, gather. Okay, we need to expect this. We need to claim this. And this is not a selfish prayer. This is a prayer that honors God. It's saying, God, I desire your presence more than anything else. I want you. I want to experience you. I want to know you. God honors that prayer. glory of the Lord. Give us your glory, God. Repeat after me. Glory. glory. Let your glory fall, God. Let your glory fall now, Lord. Amen. I just...
is just coming on you guys. And I'm just, man. Just think about what, what, what's going to happen. Let yourself be carried by the Spirit. He's going to reveal things tonight as we pray. He's going to reveal things as you go home. Things that you'd never seen or thought of before. God's going to take you into intimate places. It's His presence. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is immeasurable. There's never all that you can see. There is so much more of God to experience. There is so much more of God to know. And what you need to know is that as you are fasting and as you are praying, as you are seeking His hand, He is going to reveal deep things of His heart. He is going to reveal things to you that you have never seen or experienced before. Expect this. Claim it. Harvest it. It is your reward. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. It says, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. We will call, and the Lord will answer. We will cry, and he will say, Here I am. I want to restate a point that I made earlier. It's not our act of fasting that enables us to hear the voice of God. It's not you putting away food for a certain amount of time that enables you to hear the voice of God. It is the posturing of your heart as you fast that enables you to hear the voice of God. This is not a religious act. This is an act of love. And as you posture your heart before him and you say, God, I want you more than these things. I want to hear from you. God is going to speak. You need to expect it. You see, so many Christians, they want God to show up like in the storm or, or the earthquake or just, you know, in, in, you know thunder and, and lightning in powerful ways. They want to hear the voice of God so audibly that they can't doubt it. And, and it's just so clear. But you know what? God wasn't in the storm. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in the whisper. When he spoke to Elijah, it was through a gentle breeze, through just a small whisper, and Elijah heard it. Elijah's ears were in tune with God. And when you posture your heart in fasting and prayer, and you remove these distractions from yourself, and you seek him, you will hear the voice, you will hear the voice of God. You will hear his whispers. So many of us want to grow in the gift of prophecy. We want to experience this, and we think that it's just like you know an on-off switch, and suddenly you can prophesy. What prophecy really is, is it's getting into the heart of God. It's getting so close with God that you feel His heartbeat, that you hear the whispers from His throne. And so as you pray and as you seek His face, as you fast, that's just what's happening. You're getting more and more intimate with Him. And when you get intimate with Him, you know the secrets of God. You know the, the deep desires of His heart. Your heart is stirred with compassion. I want to encourage you guys to take time during this fast to just rest in His presence. To just let Him speak over you. Listen to His whispers. Let His heart touch your heart. Verse 11 says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. You see, when we set our, ourselves upon God and we desire 
Him more than the things of this world, He meets us. He loves to just let us feast upon His presence. You see, when Jesus was with the crowds and they followed Him, they were willing to give up their hunger. They were willing to give up their job. They were willing to even leave their family just so that they could be with Him. And Jesus knew their needs. And He had compassion on them. And that's why He said, we we need to feed these people. He recognized their hunger and He was honoring it. And it says that all ate and were satisfied. That all feasted and were satisfied as they were before His presence. He fed them all and there was even more left over. God is the God of abundance. Just as He saw hunger in the crowds, He sees hunger among you. He sees the hunger in your hearts. He is honored by it and He wants to feed you. His words are our bread. It is our bread of life. And He will give us a feast as we seek Him. As we move, move in obedience to God, He promises us His Holy Spirit. He says that you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And I can tell you, you can be in the driest, toughest, most desolate areas, most religious areas, or just the mo- you know, a place where there are no Christians, and there's so much oppression. But as you set your heart on God's heart, there's, there's nothing in between. You have that intimacy, and the Spirit within you will refresh you and will overflow through you. Hebrews 13.5 says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. John 7.38 says streams of living water will flow from your heart, will flow from within you, referring to the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you guys, after this 21-day fast, if this is your first fast, don't just expect a bunch of fireworks and then you don't have to fast ever again in your life. I want to encourage you guys to continue to make this a discipline. Not out of religion, not saying I have to do it in order for God to love me, but saying, God, I want more of you, and I ask for more of your love, I ask for more of your heart, and to establish a life of prayer and fasting. And as you do that, I'm telling you guys, there is no dry spell will come upon your life. I remember in college, I was, I was living that life of prayer and fasting, and just day after day, I would weep during my prayer times. I would just get hit far more than any retreat, than any conference I was attending. They would just be in my quiet time, just just reading the word and just seeing God's heart for, for the martyr Stephen, seeing his heart for his disciples, seeing his heart for the people. And my heart would just break because I was just, I was just in his presence. I was wanting him more. And I'm telling you guys, this is the same for each and every one of you. As you live a life of prayer and fasting, as you ask for more love, he will pour it out. He will meet you in your quiet times. He will give you revelation like you've never had before. He will bless you. The last verse we're going to cover. Verse 12. says, Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Simply put, we will restore the kingdom. As justice and righteousness are firmly established among us, and as we move in the heart of God, His throne becomes established where we are. Then he comes in his glory and he restores the rightful kingdom, his kingdom here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to restore North Korea and the revivals that happened there a century ago. He wants the foundation for the last generations, the last generation, this coming generation to be strong. God wants his people to dwell in cities and places where they do not have to fear loneliness, abuse, neglect, rape, murder, these different things that our society lives under fear under. 
He wants them to live under justice and righteousness. He wants the orphans to be taken care of. He wants the homeless to have a place where they can sleep under. He wants the naked to be clothed. And I'm telling you, as we live this life, he will empower us and his kingdom will come and we will see this happen here on earth. We will see this in North Korea. His favor rests upon the righteous. His favor rests upon the city that has the righteous in it. I'm telling you, his favor is coming to Korea in a mighty way as we continue to seek him. So we need to expect God to be equipping his church for this. As we posture ourselves before God in prayer and fasting, we need to expect him to equip us personally as well. We need to expect his glory. We need to expect healing in our lives and the lives around us. We need to expect these things because it's in his word. And he calls us to take his word by faith, to claim it. We need to continue to to target the demonic strongholds that are here in Korea. We need to target them in prayer, and then we need to expect that as God begins to break them open, that we will go out. We will be his hands and feet. And guys, we just saw a small glimpse of this this past Sunday when our sister Tanya at Itaewon brought some former prostitutes, some, some Filipino girls that had been caught in sex trafficking, that had been lured into it and enslaved in it, and they had been delivered from it, and they were brought to our church. Pastor Christian, Aaron, and some others were able to pray for them. And the kingdom of God began to show up. They began to cry. They began to get touched by the love. Hope began to rise up in their hearts. And that is just a small glimpse of what God is about to do in our church. We need to expect this. God doesn't just put it on our hearts so that we pray and then other people do the work. No. Best people equipped to do the work are the people that have the heart for it. And he is establishing that heart in you right now. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say a prayer and then I'm going to just lead us in a few prayer topics. I feel there needs to be a response. So let me pray somebody could hit the lights. I appreciate it. Alan, could you hit the lights? God, let there be a stirring in this place. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. You do not give us this word just so that we get knowledge and we leave and we don't do anything with it. God, you have given us this word so that we may have life, so that we may move by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we may see the strongholds of the enemy crumble in your kingdom established here on earth. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. God, I ask for a quickening in the hearts of your people in this place, that you will set our eyes and our hearts upon you, God. God, I pray a deliverance, Lord God. I just speak deliverance from all hunger, from all tiredness, from every distraction of this world, God. These things do not matter right now, God. What matters is you. And so I declare a holy focus, God, a focus set apart right on you right now, God. Avert the eyes of our heart to you, God, to the gaze of your majesty. We look to you, Lord. Church, I want us to pray for repentance on behalf of South Korea, for turning from their own flesh and blood. We have to respond in prayer for this. We have to pray a prayer, Father, forgive us for turning from our brothers and sisters, for ignoring their cries of starvation, for ignoring their cries for the word of God, for the ability to be able to pray with freedom, to worship God. 
Forgive us for ignoring the cries of those in concentration camps, those who are being executed. Forgive us for ignoring the cries of those who are just victims of injustice, even in the sex trade in North Korea. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for turning from our own flesh and blood. Forgive us of our materialism or our fleshliness. Forgive us, God, of running after alcohol and infidelity. Forgive us, God, of running after money and education and the things of just our our own flesh, God, and ignoring our brothers and sisters. Church, let's pray right now. Let's pray repentance on behalf of South Korea and even our own hearts for ignoring what is happening in the North. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Just as we need to repent for the apathy in South Korea, we also want to posture our hearts before the Lord to ask for his heart for the victims of injustice, to ask for his heart to repent if if we have turned our, our face from them before and to say, God, the ears are heart. 
Here's our lives, God, and we love you, and we want to love your people, your sons and daughters, those you have made in your image. We want to love them. So, church, I want you to just ask God right now, God, I want your heart. I want your heart for the broken. And, guys, if you're having trouble experiencing it, I want you to ask God, God, I want to know your heart for me, your heart for me. Because when you experience his heart for you, you see just how strong his love is, how beautiful his love is. And this is a love that releases and enables you to love others, to reach out to others. So church, if you've experienced the love of God, I want you to ask God, now give me your heart of love for others. If you have yet to really feel the love of God or you're feeling dry right now, I want you to just ask and God will bless you. God loves you guys so much. He is so proud of each and every one of you. Whether you're fasting or not, God is delighting in you. You are hungering after him. You're here because you want him. And God loves your heart. He loves you. You're made in His image. He delights in you. You are created for His glory. He is not going to let you go. So let's pray, church, and let's ask God to reveal His heart for the victims of injustice, to reveal His heart for us as well. Let's pray.